Don't worry about it. I worry about nothing. I'm just, I'm just. Your job is to worry. I worry about a lot of stuff. <laughs> I worry about the levels. I worry. Are we recording this? We, uh, we actually are. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Today we're going to talk about Petrarch, my favorite person. <laughs> is Petrarch really your favorite? Yes. I, oh, that's really good. I, I never knew that. You know, after. <laughs> After uh, uh, centuries of marriage, Petrarch yeah, is my favorite. Had no idea. Person. Had no idea. We're going to talk about Francis Petrarch or Francesco Petrarca. Uh huh. Will we talk about love? Will we speak of love? We will speak of love because that's we're going to be talking about Petrarch's love lyrics. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, he wrote a lot of um, a lot of songs for Bobby Darren. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Splish Splash. I, I believe in the original, it was a splisha splasha. I don't think that would, that's quite right. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about Petrarch's rime sparse, his canzoniere, his scattered rhymes. Cool. All right. So uh, who is, uh, who's, what's his first name? Everybody said that, Frank. Oh, Frank. <laughs> Francis, Francesco. Francesco, okay. Yeah, he was born in Arezzo, which is a town in Tuscany, kind of southeast of Florence. He was. Um, it's featured. It's featured in in Life Is Beautiful. That's that's the movie. Set in the movie. Yes. The movie. Yes. Roberto Benigni's. Yes. Um, his father was exiled from Florence in 1301, the same year that Dante was exiled from Florence, and kind of similar issues, just on the wrong side of politically. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Petrarch's interesting because he is kind of like the first tourist. Huh. He traveled a lot. Uh. And he traveled a lot. I mean, certainly people were traveling at the time. There were pilgrims. There were people going on missions. There were merchants. He traveled just because, doggone it, he wanted to see that city. So not traveling for work. No, traveling for pleasure. Yes. Yeah, business for pleasure. Then Petrarch was always <laughs> like, it's his pleasure. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, as I guess fairly well known. He spent a, a large part of his life, his yeah, at least the younger years of his life, in Avignon in France. Um, he was just as comfortable there as he was in Italy. Mm-hmm. So I think he's interesting as far as the you know when we get into the traveling part. But maybe we should talk about his poetry first. Yeah. Um, I so we read uh, um, the first poem in the Cansoniere or the, or uh, Rime Sparse. Can you talk a little bit about why it's known by both names or do you know anything about it? I don't know anything. It's about weird it. because when I, when I, <laughs> I bought the Italian edition, it was Cansoniere in the Italian well, edition. Well, Cansoniere is just a collection of canzoni, a collection right. of poems. Rime Sparse is that, that title comes from this very first poem where he says in the first line, Voi cascotate in rime sparse il suono. You who hear in scattered rhymes the sound, and then mm. he goes on, of those sighs that, uh, with which I fed my, my heart. Oh, oh, shall we tell our dear listeners what, uh, what translation or translations we're using? Yes, I'm using the Robert Durling translation. And I'm occasionally referring to the Mark Musa. Okay. Which is, so, uh, Mark Musa is uh, in, the, the uh, Anne's translation is uh, is literal and um facing page and, and, and prose but it's prose yes, translation yeah and musa is also facing page but it's a he, he tries to he's a poet so he tries to render it into into uh verse yeah 
So it's interesting. So what is this collection? I mean, it's interesting because Petrarch's also best known for the, this collection of poems, this collection, this poetry. Uh-huh. He himself, I mean, he wrote a lot more in Latin. And it's pretty apparent from his letters that that's how he thought he would be remembered for his Latin works. Right. And it's interesting, maybe ironic, that he really is remembered for these poems in the vernacular. We didn't mention that about... Um, Same for Boccaccio. Boccaccio last yes, week. Boccaccio but that's... wrote a lot in Latin. This is an interesting time. This is We're talking 14th century Italy. Um, we talked, I think, a little bit about the Italian language with Dante. He's a kind of a, an inventor of the Italian language in the sense that, yes, everyone was speaking Italian. They were speaking their dialects in their in their towns. But the idea of actually writing a poem, writing an epic poem like Dante does in Italian, in the vernacular, is pretty revolutionary. Um, it, it Though it was used for lyric poetry, like Petrarch has a, you know, there's a tradition that he's following when he's writing these these poems in, in Italian. Mm-hmm. So rime sparse means scattered rhymes. Is uh-huh. that how Musa translates it? Uh, uh, yes, scattered verses. Scattered verses, yeah. Yeah. So th- the question, I mean, we were talking about this the other day. What what is this? What the the rhyme, What are the rhymes? Are they yeah. these so individual the, poems? Right, and and scattering it means it has a lot of. There's a sense of dispersion. Uh, there's a sense of there's a sense of disorganization in the word scattered, but there's also a sense of of an effusion, like like something gets. You know, Johnny Appleseed was scattering seed, for yeah, example. This is Petrarch Appleseed. Petrarch Appleseed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, it's, it is interesting because you, you kind of brought up that negative connotation of scatter. Like, oh, oh no, you don't want to scatter those things because they'll just kind of blow off in the wind. But. Well, he, and, and as we were talking before the show, uh, we, um, one of the things that, it, and this may be just something that's in, in my mind, but. Um, St. Augustine, when he's writing the Confessions, really talks about there's a sense of him being dispersed, of his soul being dispersed, and of of, of the act of recollecting, of writing his his Confessions is a, is a kind of gathering that. And yes. I kind of wonder whether, as I'm reading this, uh, whether Petrarch or the, the, the character is is ha- the, right. has the a, a similar sense of of being. A bit, you know, the word, I guess, dissolute is also a kind of a dissolved uh, or, right. or, you know. Right. And so, right, you kind of touch on the negative connotation of scattering. It's not a good thing. Right. At the same time, we, this, so this is a work that, it's a collection of 366 poems. Right. So that should tip you off. I mean, it's kind of like poem a day, Petrarch. Yeah, I, my, my Petrarch calendar. <laughs> my Petrarch calendar. He was like, every day I'm going to write a poem. That's great. Um, no, he didn't. He wrote these over no, decades, that, uh-huh. over decades, and he kept revising them and reordering them. Boop. So there's nothing, in a way, there's nothing scattered. So about when you these. say 365, though, in what sense is that? 366 si- is th- a leap year. <laughs> right. But does it, does it in any sense map onto a year? Is there any sort of cy- cyclical nature to it where you say, this is a winter poem? This is, a, this is, this is very much a June 22nd poem. I want well, to read the June 22nd. All poem, right. So maybe we need to back up in a little bit. Uh, sure. One of the major focuses of these poems is there, there. there's a lot of love poems for a woman named Laura. We don't know who this Laura is. We don't know if she even existed. Uh, about, But he claimed she did. He, he claimed said, she does. This happened to, to me. me. <laughs> so 
He claims she exists, existed. And that she died. And that she died. About two-thirds of the way through the book, he, obviously there's a change because now Laura has died, apparently, of the plague. Um, and so I, I, clearly the poems after that, I think it's around, I shouldn't say two, yeah, I guess that is about two-thirds. So I think it's around 260-something is where Laura dies. So there is a change. So like Dante, he has this issue of what do you do when the lady love, is, lady love. is no longer on this earth? Mm-hmm. So for Dante, it's he kind of has to regather, regroup, and says, no, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, well, she's a saint. I mean, that she's actually in heaven, and I, I visited her in heaven. I'm going to say something that no one ever said in, in lyric poetry before. Mm. Petrarch's a little bit different. Uh, he ends up with, he does have a kind of, he talks about at least a kind of, um, um, what's the word? A, a, a return to his faith. Mm, a reversion. A, a kind of a conversion. A conversion. He talks about yeah. a conversion. Right. And the very last poem, number 366, is a poem dedicated to the Virgin Mary. So if, <laughs> it's not that 365 were to Laura and then suddenly he's like, oops, sorry. But, you know, I, I think that that's clearly he's talking about that. But God is in the poems, too. Yes, I mean, there's, yeah, there are know, some poems, yes. God is there. And then there are also a couple of poems about, um, well, there's that one poem for about Italy mm-hmm. that kind of touches on the, the idea the, of a unified Italy rather than a, a, a collection of city, constantly warring city-states. And that's something that's very near and dear to Petrarch's heart because he was, as a writer, he kind of achieved what Boccaccio would have liked to have done and never really pulled it off, which is that he had sponsors, Mm. (laughs) you know, Patreon. Mm. He had, he went from court, from place to place, court to court, and he had people taking care of him and funding him to do his work. Which is fantastic. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing in 2021. It's it's amazing in the 14th century. So he kind of is that model for that sort of court poet. But he's a court poet without a court. There is no court in of Italy at the time. Uh huh. Anyway, well, we kind of went off on a tangent. Well, sh- shall we? Um, shall we? Uh, can I read the poem? You can. I, I've got, please, please. I've got a poetic rendition here that I thought. Would oh, be okay. Nice. That's probably better. Yeah. yeah. Just. So this is uh, poem one. O you who hear within these scattered verses the sounds of sighs with which I fed my heart in my first errant youthful days when I, in part, was not the man I am today. For all the ways in which I weep and speak between vain hopes, between vain suffering, in anyone who knows love through its trials, in them may I find pity and forgiveness. But now I see how I've become the talk. So long a time of people all around. It often makes me feel so full of shame. And from my vanities there comes shame's fruit. And my repentance. And the clear awareness that worldly joy is just a fleeting dream. Life is but a dream. Yeah, well, yeah. So... It's it's a beautiful poem. It also, I mean, right here we have... Petrarch is best known for the sonnet. So this is a an example of a Petrarchan sonnet. It is a sonnet by yes. Petrarch. And so what is a Petrarchan sonnet? What does that mean? Well, so listeners may are probably familiar at least with Shakespearean sonnets, right? right? So right. they want to c- contrast. They have a different 
They have a different rhyme, but the, the thing that they have in common, we should probably talk about what they have in common, which is that they're 14 lines. Every sonnet is a 14-line poem to start with. Uh, yeah, and so for Petrarch, for the Petrarchan sonnet, it's usually divided into two stanzas of four lines each, mm-hmm. and then two stanzas of three lines each. Right, or you can think of a, a bigger division as well, where you group the two four lines and the two three lines yes. together. So yes. you can think of that as an as an octave and a sestet. Yes. And so what's typical for Petrarch, he does that right here, is to start that second part with an inversion. Right. Where he says, but, you know, he talks all about, you know, you who hear the scattered rhymes about how I wept and, and uh, you know, how I cried about this, my love. And, but now I see well how for a long time I was the talk of the crowd, for which I, for which often I am ashamed of myself within. You know, so he yeah. inverts the what what came before. Yeah, there's that weird that that weird sense of first uh, of uh, of the trials of love, and then it seems like somehow the shame of fame. And I, it's it's uh, to me there there there's a kind of a weird, uh, strange turn. And it might be that that love brings into sharp relief those kinds of vanities. I don't know that. His love for Laura yeah, or his... his love for Laura brings in that, that kind of... There's no shame in the first part. There's, there's pain, uh-huh. but there's no shame. And there seems to be a, a lot of pain in these. <laughs> You're getting choked up I again. Am, so... <laughs> Poor <so> Petrarch. <laughs> yeah, so... But I, I think also that inversion... <laughs> That inversion, we were talking a little bit about his conversion. I think that there's, as a model, it's not surprising that Petrarch uses this. I mean, that he, he kind of invents this sort of, this way of getting in both sides in one very short poem. So we, we talked a little bit about the scattered rhymes, a little bit about that inversion. You know, now I see what what it was. This first poem is very much like an introduction. It reminds me a little bit of the prologue to Boccaccio's Decameron that we read the last time. Right. Where he is the author talking about how he once was in love. And and the reason he's writing these stories is he found storytelling to be therapeutic, Mm. that it got his mind off of of his his loved one. And um, that's why he's writing it for people who are in love. You know... Um, the vast majority of these poems, though, are love poems. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Just why is the lyric, why is poetry, why, as a form, why does it seem so well-suited for expressing love? Mm-hmm. And why has love got to be so sad? And what does love have to do with it? Uh, well, I think, I think <clears throat> Petrarch said that. I think that's I think that's in there. I think that's num- yeah. number thirty-nine. Uh, that, but to me, the the thing that over so I, I've read a couple of the poems, but they they have a there's a pervasive sense of sadness. Yeah, even before <clears throat> we get into the Laura died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is yes love unrequ- is a wound. unrequited love. Love is suffering. Love is, yeah. So and it can get quite honestly. I find um, the poems can be get pretty tedious. You read one after the other like sure. that. Yeah. Um, his, his, what's the word? Relationship with Laura. And I don't mean real relationship, but his, this uh, poetic relationship with Laura can be kind of creepy too. 
You know, the way he 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 um, breaks her apart into pieces, and he <clears throat> sort of analyzes her hair, her eyes, her her um, her her whatever, her limbs, her shoulders, mm-hmm. her breast, everything is broken up into little parts, and you don't really get a sense of Laura as. Uh, you, now we're back to those Zurime Sparse, the scattered rhymes. Now we've got scattered Laura. You know, you don't get the sense of Laura as a unified person, mm. which I think is part of the reason why people have doubted whether she was a real person. Not, mm. sure, not sure where you fall on that. I have no idea. I <clears throat> I never met her. Uh, but we, we talked a little bit about uh, him traveling one thing we didn't talk about, um, he's, uh, he's also associated with uh, Avignon as well. Right, um, right. Well, I think we're traveling that he spent most of his youth in Avignon in France. Mm-hmm. Um, he and his brother, after his father died, they lived off what was, you know, his family's fortune and kind of used it up. And then his wandering around from one patron to the right. next. And this was at a time when the, the, the papacy, the Pope was in Yes, yes, right. That's was important. In, right. Was in France. So the the uh, papacy was in this is during the time period where the Pope is in Avignon. Really Avignon is like the place to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Rome is not the place to be. Rome is a backwater at this point. So um he's really right in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. We were talking about his travels and his he travels out of curiosity. He travels because he wants to learn something. He wants to translate all of these old, these Greek works. You know, he hires this this Greek um, monk to to translate these works. It's learning, curiosity. He really, it, it's the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. You know, he's pushing the Renaissance right there. And I, I was thinking about it because I don't think we think about the Renaissance for 14th century so much. It's the beginnings. Maybe mm-hmm. we talk about it as the early Renaissance. But what happened? Right. What happened with humanism? Humanism is really the precursor. And really what happened is the plague. Uh-huh. So it's sort of like a funny thing happened on the way to the Renaissance. <clears throat> Everything keeps coming coming back to the plague. Maybe we'll have a Renaissance after the pandemic. I, I, well, but so to be more pessimistic. Sure. The plague was not just one year. I mean, we talked about that with mm-hmm. Boccaccio and the Decameron. He talks about that plague year in Florence where it was really hit hit badly. Right. But it kept coming back over right. decades. And really, the financially, um, the cities couldn't, couldn't um, sure. get on their feet. Um, but Petrarch is a kind of model for this, this Renaissance man. Well, what does Petrarch mean for the traveler? <laughs> For the traveler to today. the traveler to to today today today, because like we we like to think about how you know as we're as we're at, at, whenever we wind up back in Italy, what what that's going to look like and places we might go where we would we would be in Petrarch's footsteps and we actually um, when we visited our friend in Padua didn't we go to a Yes, this is a long time it's a ago. While back, this is yeah. probably over twenty years ago. So there's a um, Petrarch, as we said, was born in Arezzo, which is a town in south um, town in Tuscany, southeast of Florence, which is definitely worth a visit yep. in itself. It's Beautiful a neat town. antiques market. It has amazing frescoes by um, Pier della Francesca. Mm-hmm. Um, but he traveled around, and he spent the last few years of his life in a town called Arqua, which is known now as Arqua Petrarca, which is in the province of Padua. It's not too far from Padua. And Padua itself is a really neat city. And I think it's often overlooked by tourists. 
at least non-Italian tourists. Um, it's easy to get to if you're taking the train from Venice. I think it's about 45 minutes hmm. to Padua. It's a very well-preserved medieval city. Uh, but just outside of Padua is this town, Arco Petrarca, where there is the tomb of Petrarch. And there is, like Dante's tomb in Florence, it's a little got a little bit of a funny story to it. That it was, definitely that's where Petrarch was. Buried. Was buried. Um, but when they, I think it was, well, I'm going to have to look this up. But when they actually examined the bones more recently, they found that the skull belonged to a woman. Mm. Which means either the body was stolen or Petrarch turned into a woman. Or. Or what? I'm gonna, I was just going to say that Petrarch identified as a man, was, was a woman who identified as a man. No, I, that's now you're, you're kind of reaching. <clears throat> okay. But in addition fine. to the body of, of whoever is in Petrarch's tomb, there also is a, um, a mummified cat in Petrarch's, this reconstructed uh, Petrarch's house that people have been visiting for centuries. Nice. That this is the Petrarch's cat. And it, it has an inscription that says something like, Petrarch had two loves. Laura was the second. I was the first. Mm. And in fact, he's often depicted with a cat. Mm. And so I was thinking today as I was walking, uh, I was thinking about writers, famous authors, and are they a cat author or a dog author? And I thought, okay, Petrarch, cat. Boccaccio, dog. Dante, what do you say? Cat or dog? Small dog. Small dog. Yeah. Okay. Because Boccaccio is what? Golden Retriever. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think of like a... A West Highland White Terrier. For, for Dante? For Dante. Uh, okay, that's what we used to have. Uh, Shakespeare? Cat or dog? Cat. Cat? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, um, I might go with that. Mark Twain? Dog. Dog. Hound dog. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald? Uh, yeah, yeah. Cat, dog. <laughs> Hemingway? Dog. Hemingway cat. Hemingway oh, Hemingway cat, cat, of course. <laughs> Hemingway is cat. Hemingway had a ton of cats. Lots of cats with lots and lots of toes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. All I was right. just thinking dog, cat. Um, so those are some of the places you, if you're looking to. And I, I have not been to. We, we should go to um, Avignon. Sure. I, we should we definitely should. go to Avignon. As soon as, <laughs> soon as we lift, lift up. And we should go back to Arqua Petraca. Sure. I, I, um, we it was a I if I remember right it was kind of a, a stroll through the piazza that we did, mm-hmm. but many of these small towns are definitely worth getting off the beaten track because um, in addition to obviously their relationship to Petrarch to his life, they're just neat places and you know um, places where you're going to hear more Italian than English. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I don't know if we have a signpost for next time, but that, I feel like that's a good place to to, to stop for for this week. All right. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And uh, I well, I realized please. I was thinking about this. I realized that we hit the big three: the triumvirate, Dante, Boccaccio, and Petrarch. Uh-huh. And I, I almost felt like we kind of had to get them out of the way. But I do hope that we're, we're going to be exploring more travel, more travel, more, uh, but also writers, um, more contemporary writers, and. Um, writers outside of Tuscany. Sounds good. All right. All right. Till the next time. Ciao. Ciao, ciao.